My name is Maria McKenzie, and welcome to Provocative History, a program featuring historical fiction and fact that will make you laugh, cry, and think. I'm an author of historical fiction, and the subject matter of my books is rather provocative. I say that because I enjoy taking readers on an emotional roller coaster ride. Since this is the first program, I'll share a little about myself. I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. Now, here's an interesting, trivial fact about my hometown. One of its nicknames from long ago was Porkopolis. That moniker came about around 1835 when Cincinnati was the country's chief hog-packing center. And during that time, herds of pigs actually traveled through the streets. Now, isn't that a lovely sight to imagine? I went to Wittenberg University in Springfield, Ohio, not the Wittenberg University in Germany that Shakespeare's Hamlet attended. I majored in English and minored in history. Then I went to Atlanta University and received a master's in library science. But that was back in the dark ages because now library science is referred to as information technology. I worked as a librarian in Georgia and later in North Carolina where I met my husband. How did we meet? Well. I was outside running one day, and this handsome man pulled over and asked me out. I said yes, not only because he was handsome, but he seemed like a really nice guy, and he was and still is. We clicked on the first date and married a year later. Meeting my husband is what actually ignited my passion for writing. We're an interracial couple, so since he's white and I'm black, I wondered what it would have been like if we'd met back in the days of slavery, when the South, when in the South we wouldn't have been able to marry at all. So that idea got me playing around with a story that eventually swelled to an over 800-page family saga. Now keep in mind that at that point, I'd never even considered writing a book. It was around 1997 that I started writing. I was employed with no children back then, and on weekends I could work on my story as much as I wanted. Then in 1999, I had my first child and became a stay-at-home mom. I thought I'd have lots of free time for writing then, but I was wrong. Then I had another child in 2001 and didn't finish writing my novel until 2007. Now, afterwards, it sat in a drawer for several years. It wasn't until 2012 that I published it as a trilogy on Amazon. The trilogy's title is Unchained, and the three books are Escape, Masquerade, and Revelation. I'll close today's program by reading Chapter 1 of Escape, Book 1 of the Unchained Trilogy. So I hope you'll sit back and enjoy it. Wilmington, North Carolina, July 1856. I can do this. I can do this. Lori repeated the words to herself as if willing them to be true. Under a brightly shining moon, she stood on the back porch of Rebecca Taylor's home and slipped the strap of a filled canteen around her neck. Lori tucked it to one side, then reached for the worn leather satchel at her feet and did the same. The cornbread and salt pork wrapped inside would last for about three days. Miss Rebecca was dead now, leaving Lori with no alternative but to run. You'd be a fool to try. Don't even think about setting off on your own. You'll never make it. Lori forced Daniel's protest from her mind, instead hearing the cicadas and crickets chirp around her. Daniel couldn't stop her because she refused to be dragged off to Dancing Oaks. 
This was her one chance at freedom. Don't go. You can't. Again, Daniel's words played through her head, and this time also her heart. For a moment, Lori hesitated. Her feelings for Daniel were silly. He was Miss Rebecca's son, yet why had he been so adamant about her not trying to escape? He'd tried to convince his uncle to free her, but that hadn't worked. So now Lori was taking matters into her own hands. I can do this, she told herself once more, and I won't get caught. I can do this. Seeing the glimmer of fireflies, Lori wondered, could she really? She was terrified. However, was she more terrified of trying to escape or of being forced to work on a plantation? Lori started slowly down the steps. It would take about three hours on foot to reach Laidlow Farm. She knew the way. Miss Rebecca and her family were abolitionists, and Daniel had taken Lori with him several times to Laidlow to give food to the runways. Of course, they'd always traveled by wagon, but Miss Rebecca disapproved of Lori going at all. She'd said it was no place for a lady. Laidlow Farm was where the fugitive slaves hid. There was a whole community of them living near its swampland. Lori figured she could hide there for a short while, then head off to Canada. She trembled as Lori stepped from the last porch stair to the grass. Her eyes watered. Why did Miss Rebecca have to die? Lori thought angrily. She was supposed to take care of me. After inhaling deeply, taking in the scent of magnolia blossoms and the ever-present odor of the manure muddled through the streets, Lori began to run. This was no time for tears. Holding the canteen and satchel close to her sides to keep them quiet, she pushed herself through the thick, humid air. Perspiration began seeping through her kerchief and calico dress as she darted behind the large houses lining Walnut Street. Once beyond the houses, she'd come to the woods. From there, she could travel safely to Laidlow. Lori felt the warm night breeze press against her face. If Miss Rebecca hadn't died, she wouldn't be in this predicament. But Lori would manage to get herself out of it and live in freedom. That's what kept her going, built her determination, and infused her with confidence. Wearing brown brogans on her feet, Lori ran swiftly, feeling magnolia branches and azalea shrubs brush against her arms. But at the sound of a barking dog, she stopped abruptly, afraid and deflated. Lori realized she'd only made it past the third house down from Miss Rebecca's. There were two more before she'd reached the woods. Hearing the ground grinding of wagon wheels and the plodding of a horse's hooves, Lori knew it was the patrollers. Her heart began racing even more rapidly than it already was. Paid weekly by some in the community, patrollers drove slowly and carefully each night, surveying the area for runaway slaves. Lori found a large azalea shrub in a clearing between the houses and crouched behind it. For three nights, she'd stayed up late listening for the patrollers. They usually made rounds about 1 a.m., but now it was past 2. From behind the houses, she could hear male voices over the jingling of reins as they came closer down the dirt road out front. Why, Elmer Bark, she heard one of them say, it's quiet and I ain't seen nothing. Maybe we'd best get out and take a look, another man said. Lori's trembling turned to shaking. Maybe not. He ain't barking no more. Besides, he ain't all riled up like usual when there's a nigger running loose. The dog was barking at something, 
Well, there usually ain't no problems around these here parts. There's always a first time for problems. Niggers is always itching to run, even if they's treated good. Lori heard what sounded like two large feet hit the ground. One of the men must have jumped from the wagon. I'm going to take Elmer and have me a look around. Get back up here, Travis, the other man yelled. We already got a late start. There ain't no niggers running loose here, but we just might find us some near the O'Reilly place. His niggers is always running off on account of how much he beats them. But I just got me a feeling. The last time you had you a damn feeling, it was the clap. Shut up. I'm going to have me a look anyway. Then go alone, but don't take the dog. I'm taking Elmer. But there ain't nothing out there, and the damn dog's just going to waste time pissing on everything. Fine, I'll go alone. Lori could see the bright flame of the patroller's torch as he moved from the front of the street on through the clearing between the houses. Lori sat still and quiet, holding her breath, but she prayed a strong, silent prayer for God's angels to protect her. For a moment, the man hesitated, lifting the torch higher. Lori could see his hat-brim silhouette clearly through the shrub. Slowly, he began walking toward it, crushing grass beneath each heavy footstep. When he reached the shrub, he stopped. Lori began to feel the warmth of the flame as he leaned down. Travis, the other man yelled. Travis turned toward his partner's voice. If you ain't seen nothing yet, there ain't nothing back there to see. The man, Travis, then walked away from the shrub, cursing. I'm coming. As the man walked away, Lori exhaled. The canteen slipped a little. Lori clutched it quickly to stop it from making noise. But her slight movement rustled the shrub, creating enough of a sound to send the man back running. I knew it, he yelled. I got me one. Lori had no time to flee. In only seconds, the man was behind the shrub. He still held the torch in one hand, and with the other, yanked Lori so hard she felt as if her arm was pulled from its socket. But the pain didn't faze her. She was too frightened, although not too scared to fight. Let me go! Lori tried to disentangle herself from the patroller's grasp. With her free arm, she clawed at his chest and then kicked his shins. He was skinny, not too tall, and reeked of moonshine. Determined to get away, she kept fighting. If you don't stop squirming round, the patroller said, lowering the flame toward her skirt, I'm going to take this here torch and light your dress. Lori stopped struggling at the thought of being burned alive. But this time, the other man approached, dragging along a lazy-looking bloodhound. The man smiled upon seeing Lori. The flame reflected blackened teeth. He dropped the dog's leash. We can have us some fun with this one, the man said as the dog relieved himself near a tree. You first. I want to watch. The torch man pushed Lori to the other patroller, who immediately grabbed her around the waist and lifted her from the ground. Lori kicked, screaming, Get off me, you filthy drunken trash! This man was skinny too, but stronger, and the smell of alcohol on him more pungent. The man laughed as he put a large calloused hand over Lori's mouth. Got us an uppity nigger here. Lori continued screaming despite the rough smelly hand on her face. The more noise you make, the man said over her protest, the uglier this gon' get, for we haul you off to the jailhouse. A gunshot rang through the air. The dog yelped and ran away. The man holding Lori put her down, but didn't release her. Another shot fired. This time the bullet kicked up dirt by the torchbearer's feet. Shit! It was so close he jumped. What are you doing to my slave? An angry voice called from the darkness. 
Just doing our job, mister, said the man with the torch. We done caught your nigger before she run away. The other patroller still held Lori, but she'd ceased struggling, relieved to be rescued. The torch reflected Daniel's face, angrily creased by the sight of the patrollers mishandling her. He carried a lantern in one hand. Shoving the pistol in the back of his trousers, Daniel said, let her go. The man holding Lori roughly pushed her in Daniel's direction. She ran quickly to him but stopped just short of throwing her arms around him. I'll handle things from here, gentlemen. Daniel grasped Lori's arm briskly and led her away. He didn't say anything as he dragged her back to his mother's house. Daniel, I... Shh! Don't say anything, Daniel whispered. You've already created enough commotion for one night. We're lucky Uncle Elijah sleeps soundly. When I left the house, I could hear his snoring all the way from the second floor. And hopefully, if the neighbors heard anything, they only thought it was the patrollers doing what they're paid to do. Once at Miss Rebecca's back porch, Daniel finally dropped Lori's arm, then placed the lantern on the steps. He looked at her for a long time, but said nothing. I'm sorry. Lori began softly. Daniel crossed his arms. And I'm glad that's all you are. Lori's eyes widened, and she put a finger to her lips. Not so loud, she reminded him, then rubbed her aching arm, realizing how painful it felt. They hurt you. I'm fine. You could have been raped, imprisoned, or even murdered by those drunken fools, Daniel said in a loud whisper. So I'm glad you're just sorry. Lori looked down. I am sorry. What were you thinking, Lori? You promised me you wouldn't try to run away. I was desperate. Your uncle's never going to let me go. This was my last chance. Tears welled in her eyes. I didn't tell you because I knew you would have tried to stop me or maybe even insisted on coming with me, half-cocked as you are sometimes. You're right. And if you're determined to do this, I'm going with you to protect you. No, they'll kill you. Lori, you only got three houses away before the patrollers found you. An escape takes a lot more planning than this. You have to promise me you won't try something this harebrained again. Harebrained? How dare you insult me? I don't mean to insult you. I just want to keep you alive. Lori, I don't want anything to happen to you. Just be patient with me. And patient? Master Elijah's been here since last week to help close up your mother's estate, but he hasn't changed his mind about me. Lori, I'm trying. You have to believe me. I'm doing everything I can. Daniel reached for Lori's hands and held them tight. I promise you'll be free one day. Just promise me you won't try to escape on your own again. Lori, I couldn't live if... Just promise me, okay? Lori held Daniel's gaze for a long moment. She knew in her heart she could never live without ever seeing him again. And for that reason, Lori promised she wouldn't try to escape again. And that concludes Chapter 1 of Escape, Book 1 of the Unchained Trilogy. Thank you so much for listening, and please visit my website, www.mariamckenziewrites.com. Read previews of my other books and drop me a line. I would absolutely love to hear from you. Until Until next time, this is Maria McKenzie, and you've been listening to Provocative History.